You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about oligarchy and Old Town Road. I'm Yasmin Lomax. And I'm Micah Ha. And we are your hosts, who will be talking to you about politics and pop culture for the next little while. But mm-hmm. I guess before we get into that, Micah, how has your January 2020, the first one of the decade, been? Uh, it's been good. I have come back to Montreal. I have started a new semester of school. I have been thrown full force into school and teaching, and it's been really great. Um, boyfriend came to visit for a while, which was really nice. Um, Nothing brings you closer together than living in a small studio apartment for 10 days together. So that I was mean, good. Yeah, that's that would physically bring you yes. quite close, right? Yeah. It's true. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Any other goss for us? Uh, not particularly. It's been cold. That is my goss. Oh, that's West fair. Coaster does East Coast. It's not fun. Yeah, yeah. What's the weather like in Vancouver this time of year in comparison? Uh, in... This is in Celsius for all of our American friends. In Vancouver, it's around 10, 7 degrees Celsius. It actually got really cold in the last, but like Mm -hmm. normally it's not that cold. Here, it's gotten down to like minus 25. Oh, yikes. Yes. Uh, Normally, like like a good day, minus 10. (sighs) That is a lot. Mm, not feeling bad. It's not that cold here in New York, uh, thankfully. Um, it was a little colder in Boston where I went for a few days this month, which was very exciting. Yes, I went to Boston this month, um, the birthplace of our podcast. Mm-hmm. It was a work trip, but I did have a great time catching up with some friends there and scoping out the general vibe of one of my favorite places in the world. Uh, also, in keeping with the running Yaz bingo of this podcast. I guess I technically saw the strokes again this month. Um, <laughs> I went to see them on New Year's Eve and the show obviously ran past midnight. So I think that counts. Um, but I promise this month's listening chatter does not include the strokes. Um, and we will be moving on to that momentarily because it is time <laughs> for reading, watching and listening. Micah, what have mm-hmm. you been reading this month? I have been reading nothing. Um, you I promised. You I said did you promise. Would read. I decided I was going to read Little Women, and it's a very long book. Um, oh. Mistakes were made. What I have been <laughs> reading, though, is short things. Because it turns out my current lifestyle is not conducive to reading. I, I mean, I spend all of my days reading, but not yes. reading books. What I have been reading, though, are things that bring me joy. And one of them is the New York Times Tiny Love Stories series. Oh, so we all know modern love. Uh, I think we've talked about it quite a bit on this podcast. Um, it has, I mean, it's a the, column, the Amazon series. I did yes. not enjoy that. Yeah, so it started out off as a column, but then became a podcast, and then became a TV show that most people do not like very much. Um, but tiny love stories is user submitted or reader submitted stories, and they're like five hundred less than five hundred words. Not even they're like a hundred-ish words, I guess. My understanding of word count is inflated. Yeah, you schools. really you really flipped around there. That's uh, like when someone asks you to estimate a crowd size and you're like, Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no. Um Yes. Uh but they're sure. like very short stories accompanied with a picture about 
people's love stories in their lives. And sometimes they're a little bit heartbreaking, but most of the time they're just beautiful. And it's about love of all kinds. And it's a really nice read when you need like a little pick me up in the middle of the day um, amongst all the other reading that you do that is less fun. I will have to check that out. What have you been reading? What have I been reading this month? I actually uh, read a YA book, one of my favorite genres that I thoroughly enjoyed. It is called Only Love Can Break Your Heart by Catherine Weber. And it was just released this month. So props to the Queen's Public Library for getting it out so soon. Um, So to give you the the little synopsis down the back, um, a grieving girl, an unexpected boy, a perfect love story until it isn't perfect at all. Sometimes a broken heart is all you need to set you free. Rico, Rico, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to be pronouncing this, loves the endless sky and electric colors of the Californian desert. It is a refuge from an increasingly claustrophobic life of family pressures and her own secrets. Then she meets Seth, a boy who shares a love of the desert and her yearning for a different kind of life. But Rico and Seth both want something the other can't give them. As summer ends, things begin to fall apart. The end of love can sometimes be the beginning of you. So, damn. Mm, 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 mm. As this would suggest, it does start off very traditional. It's very girl meets boy. They get together. They battle a bunch of challenges. And in this case, it was uh, the social circle differences in high school. Um, but around the middle of this book, it really veers off that track and focuses much more on grief and family and friendship. And I really appreciated that it gave space to this idea that especially when you're young, people can change in ways you didn't expect or do things you didn't expect. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of the time characters in books and TVs to make them consistent and feel real, um, all, like authors and creators m- make them very, um, very, I, I guess, consistent, right? Like, mm-hmm. but I enjoyed in, in this one that a certain character did a complete flip-flop like almost a personality switch because that actually does happen in real life and mm-hmm. um i really enjoyed seeing that evolution and then the story that that pushed so i would recommend this one nice yeah i haven't found something i actually thoroughly recommend in quite a while so that's such I'll a good feeling one. yeah yeah i'll give this one a thumbs up so micah what have you been watching this month have you got something uh, to give us here? I actually have content for you. I've been watching a lot, but I'm going to mention two things that I've been watching that I really love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, one is season two of Sex Education. Um, I think I talked about season one like a year and a half ago or whenever yes, it came out. Yes, I remember this. Yes. Um, so if you didn't tune into that episode or you are not in the loop about sex education, it is a show about Otis, whose mom is a sex therapist, and Otis goes to this high school that's very much like an American high school, but is set in Britain, and he and his friend Maeve set up a sex um, therapist service that he provides, and she organizes, and hijinks ensues, and it's really sex positive, and kind, and genuine, and like really sees teenagers as full people and it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, so season two follows all the same characters that you loved in season one, um, plus a few more characters um, to make it a, sometimes it feels a little bit like forced diversity, but 
Uh, there's that. I read some really interesting Twitter threads about it. Um, but it's great. My favorite arc is definitely Amy's. Um, she's kind of this dumb blonde character who um, needs, without spoiling it, needs the support of um, her friends to get through a, like, a hard incident. And the like. I, it came to tears at the end of the show when they all like come and support her. It's beautiful. Um, so I definitely watched this in one day and would highly recommend maybe you don't watch it in a day, but you watch it uh, at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other um, thing I watched, which I actually watched last night while I was sick and it brought me so much joy, um, was Long Shot. So this movie came out in 2019 in the summer, I think. And it is a political rom-com, which honestly might be my ideal uh, genre of movies, um, politics and romance. Um, so That's there you go. Huge. I like that. It is very niche. Mm-hmm. Um, so the movie follows Seth Rogen, who is a journalist who is hired by his old high school babysitter, played by Charlize Theron, um, who is now running for president. And he's Ooh. hired to punch up her speeches um, and make them a bit funnier. And they fall in love, and it's adorable. Um, Unlikely, but okay. I know. And so it's this movie about, like, how leagues are kind of dumb and how you should just, like, love who you love and that everyone deserves to have love in their life and to be loved and everyone is lovable. Um, It's just kind of beautiful. There's, like, some kind of cringy stuff about partisanship that, like, there's one scene that pushes it a bit too far. Um, is this a new movie? Yeah, it came out like in 2019. Oh, like the in the theaters? Got, or? Yeah, it did. It got pushed mm-hmm. a little bit under the radar, I think, because of the other movies that were coming out around the time. Right, right. But like, it was very cute. Um, I'd also like to mention that I don't think we truly solidified our love for Little Women in the last episode. <gasps> oh, and no. I One thing I did watch was Greta Gerwig's 73 Questions, yes, the yes, Vogue it. interview. Yeah. It's adorable. Yeah. Um, you can really tell it was shot in one take, which is it's just very sweet. Um, so definitely love that. Little I Women, to reiterate our love. I think Little we just women. need to have it on the record that we – I could not fault it. I could not – no, even even Florence Pugh unrealistically pulling off a thirteen year old with weird bangs can't fault it. Love it. It's beautiful. Timothy Chalamet sitting weirdly on things the whole movie. Amazing genius. Him holding a baby badly. Wonderful. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Like I don't believe he's ever held a baby <laughs> in his life. Oh no no no. But if he would like to hold a biological one created by me and him, I think he knows how to contact me. I slid into dms before so <laughs> it's fine mm-hmm. uh what else have you been watching oh i have i have watched a, a bit this month um very recently the bold type has come back there are mm-hmm. um a couple episodes of the the new season out so far i love it it's fun it's it's very it's just a little indulgence for me um it comes out on hulu on friday mornings here in the u.s and i love it nice I also binged the first season, which I hope is the first of many seasons, of Next in Fashion on Netflix, mm-hmm. which is um, essentially Netflix's Project Runway, hosted nice. by um, our beloved Tan France and my 
uh, perpetual girl crush, Alexa Chung. And it's a really, it's a really beautiful take on this format. It has the sort of like homely camaraderie uh, feel of the Great British Bake Off or Great British Baking Show, whatever you know it as. And that, mm-hmm. you, you know, everyone helps each other out and they're all very pally and it's not a a cutthroat or like a traumatic sort of um, competition show. Um, it's also really diverse. It um, has international, it's an international show. So applicants come from all over the world and um, they're asked to create um, their take on things that I think the audience can actually relate to. So like active wear and mm-hmm. uh, wear and you know denim and like rock and roll style so um, I think it's a lot of fun and very heartwarming and I would definitely recommend it and also not to uh, this is a spoiler but it's one of those shows where the best person actually wins so nice. yeah that's satisfying uh, but I got really into the Netflix documentary Killer Inside the mind of Aaron Hernandez mm-hmm. which I've been telling everyone about uh, so if you don't know Aaron Hernandez was a professional football player who actually uh, played for the New England Patriots in a even in a Super Bowl game alongside Tom Brady. Uh, but he was actually convicted of murder and tried for another two murders and then was found uh, dead in his prison cell in 2017 with his death ruled a suicide. I believe he was about 27 years old at this stage. Mm-hmm. So it's a quite recent and quite a young story. Um, and it's one that I knew, but there'd always been like discussion about whether he did actually commit any of these murders um and what his motivation could have been for these crimes so i was hoping that this documentary would clear that up but it didn't really (laughs) as i think they're always going to be questions so it uh just sort of delineated them as questions i would say a pro of this to sort of convince you to watch it is that it is wildly entertaining the story has a thousand twists and turns and um, I also think that it shows opposing views in a really interesting way. It doesn't um, in, endorse either the the guilty or not guilty side. Um, and it d- does actually have a lot of footage in it. So a lot of surveillance footage or courtroom footage, which I think adds to the uh, credibility. But unfortunately, there are some cons if you are considering. So just, just know this before you go in. The access um, in this documentary isn't great. So there's... It's comprised primarily of interviews of people, but uh, a lot of them interviewed aren't actually key figures or very close to Aaron Hernandez. Mm -hmm. Actually, most of them haven't even met him. So it's a little strange in that way. I mean, key figures in this story would be his fiance and his mom, and they don't appear. Um, Mm -hmm. So it kind of bulks that out with people who might not actually be very relevant. There's also quite a heavy focus on his uh, sexuality. There was speculation that Hernandez was... um, secretly gay and was made to feel ashamed of this and that that shame influenced his life and behavior which I think kind of takes away from other factors like the massive brain injuries that he had sustained as a result of playing football that Mm -hmm. I think scientifically could be proven as more influential on this whole story so Ultimately, I'm going to recommend y'all watch it because I don't think it was, you know, necessarily sympathetic, which I think a lot of these things have, you know, a risk of being like sympathetic Mm -hmm. or glorifying. Um, But I think the main thing I kind of got from it was that it it follows him from a kid up until his death. 
And I think watching someone grow up like that, you can see that there's another path they could have taken. There's like multiple mm-hmm. opportunities for him to have made new friends or, um, you know, pursued a different path. And even though you know how the story ends, you're watching it and hoping that yeah, things, things could have gone down differently. So uh, definitely a fascinating documentary to watch. Uh, even my mom watched it and she doesn't really even like <laughs> uh, crime documentaries or football. So there we go. Have you listened to anything cool this month? Um, I've been listening to a lot of um, soundtracks and like lyricless stuff. So um, after seeing Nate Smith in um, New York in December, I've been listening to his albums, like his whole catalog a lot. It's really great. Um, I've been like, as an experience thing I've been loving is going to cafes and getting work done. And I like the kind of music that blends out the people around you. Um, but doesn't distract you too much. So that's been really good. Um, I've also been loving the soundtracks for um, movies that I've liked this year. So both the marriage story and the little woman soundtrack are very good. Um, Good movies, good soundtracks. I don't remember the marriage story soundtrack at all. Like little women, I'm just picturing these kind of like old timey things that Mm -hmm. Timothy Chalamet would be like twirling around to, but marriage story, I don't Mm -hmm. remember at all. What, what is that like? It's it's jazzy. Um, it's oh, very right. short. Okay, it's like very of, repetitive, right? Y- yeah, I'm 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 feeling you know the opening scene mm-hmm. where they're saying the thing they like each other. I yeah. think I think I can recall some music there. Mm-hmm. What have you been listening to? What have I been listening to? Um, I have been in a bit of a Hamilton Lighthouser black hole since seeing him nice. uh this month he is a solo artist but was previously the lead singer of the walkmen who are one of my very very favorite bands um and i actually think this is my favorite show i've ever ever been to which is a big call for me um yeah. i love my concerts but this one was just so different to anything i've ever been to it was at the uh, cafe carlisle on the upper east side so um you sit down you have your dinner um the three course meal and a drink runs at about $160. So that gives you a sense of the vibe. Mm-hmm. The dress code was chic and men had to wear jackets. So very fancy. Um, he and his band came out, you know, wearing suits and um, his band was comprised of like, you know, pianos and flutes and the double bass. And mm-hmm. it's only about an 80 person capacity. And as I mentioned, everyone's like sitting at their dinner table. So it's very, very intimate. And you're able to get this nice kind of banter with like the the act. Um, in terms of the performance, Hamilton Lighthizer's voice is incredible. It's it's always been my favorite voice. It's so authentic, and I didn't think that anyone could pull it off live. It if you listen to his music, you'll know what I'm talking about. But it is like even better, and he does some really great covers as well. Uh, Miami by Randy Newman, uh, Not by Big Thief, and The Greatest by Lana Del Rey. And it was just beautiful. I laughed and I sang along and I cried and it it was fantastic. So um, if you ever get a chance to listen or see him, please do. He has a new album coming out very soon. So I'm excited about that. Um, speaking of new albums, his cousin Walter Martin just released one um, at the very, very end of January. It is a very mellow sort of album. Um, I think it would make good study music for you actually Micah it is called The World at Night and it's lovely as well Um, and 
my beloved Blossoms just released their third album. It's called Foolish Loving Spaces. And it sees them happy and content, which I think Aww. is, yeah, yeah, it's nice. Um, normally, I don't think things are good when people get happy. I, I like when people mm-hmm. are, are angsty and angry and frustrated. But mm-hmm. um, this one's nice. You can feel that they're comfortable. It's less, you know, maybe eager to please or 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 emotionally frustrated than than some of their other stuff. Um, highlight tracks for me would be uh, the latest single, If You Think This Is Real Life, which is the first track. That is beautiful. They also have one called My Swimming Brain, which is great. And Sunday Was a Friend of Mine, which is a fantastic name that reminds me of Jenny Was a Friend of Mine by The Killers. So get on that. Um, Also in just my regular um, news that may have also been news 15 years ago, Bright Eyes are back. Um, They'll be releasing new music soon and are touring. So if you can get tickets to see them, I have mine and I'm extremely excited. So I'm sure I'll have a better Bright Eyes update for you soon when I either get to listen to their new stuff or see them live. Welcome to the politics section of the podcast. This month, we are going to be talking about royals, royalty, monarchy, and why we have it as a political institution. Um, This topic came to me because of the recent events of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, or I guess her last name is no longer Markle. Um, They announced that, I don't think so. I think she took his name, Um, but that's what she's still known by. Um, Is his name a real name or did they just kind of make that up? I I I have no idea. Um, It's too confusing. No, I don't Um, understand how that works. That's for another episode, though. That is for another episode. The name conventions of the royals, another episode. Um, So Harry and Meghan announced this week, or in January, that um, they would be stepping down from their duties as members of the royal family, and they would renounce their royal income. Um, This is a huge deal in uh, the royal family, because... Normally, people understand the job is something you can't walk away from um, and is a duty that you have to follow. Um, and people were very upset about it. Um, or very happy. Or very happy. It really, like, it was very polarizing. So this comes um, after both of them, but mostly Megan, being harassed by the media since they got married um, and by certain segments of the British population. And it was really about every single little thing that she did, whether it was um, how she decided to plan her wedding, um, mm. whether she was eating avocados or not. Um, how she Oh, was the avocado one. That was so the funny. The avocado one is insane. What was it? Um, it was like that article that was like talking about the housing crisis. And it was like, um, millennials cannot afford houses because they are obsessed with avocados. The favorite fruit of Meghan Markle and blah 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 and it was like how is she relevant here like you're just being me like yeah um there's all of these you can see these side-by-side screenshots of um articles from the same um online publications that talk about the same thing that was happening with Kate and with Megan Mm -hmm. and Kate gets a really positive um like representation and Megan gets quite a negative one. One is like um, Kate decided to send um, 
the Abbey where they got married with Joe Malone candles. And it was like, look at what scent Kate brought to the wedding. And then when the headline for Megan was Megan wanted to smell scent Abby because she thought it smelled stale and old. And yeah. like was really upset with her about it. Or there was the one where like Kate was touching her bump when she was pregnant. They were all like, mm-hmm. ooh, royal baby. We're all so excited. And then Megan's was like, is she just looking for attention? Why does she keep doing that? Why is she touching her stomach so much? Yeah. So this went on for a year and a half, basically, um, of Meghan and Harry receiving a huge amount of harassment. So they decided they were going to step down from public life and move to Canada. Um, Same. They're moving to- Same I know, this. right? <laughs> uh, I, they're moving to Vancouver, um, which, because fun fact, one reason is they are um, very close friends to the former prime minister's son and his wife. Yeah, they're like BFFs, and their kids were like in the wedding party, right? Yeah, the Mulroonies, which is very funny. Um, So I was listening to an episode of The Daily, which is the New York Times daily Mm -hmm. podcast, about all of this. And they have their UK um, reporter um, discussing kind of the politics of this all. And he makes the interesting argument that um, the people – People are really upset. Certain people are really upset about Harry and Meghan leaving the royal family at this particular time because we are in the midst of Brexit actually happening. And you so said it. You craving, said the word. I can say the word. I'm sorry. It's happened now, so we can say it. Um, and so people are craving some sort of stability and understanding of what British identity is in this time where British identity is pivotally being changed. Um, and so this is, this is one argument why people are upset about this. I think it's a very charitable argument because the journalist also brings up the fact that the people who are most upset about Harry and Meghan leaving are also the people who voted for Brexit. Yeah, absolutely. And And the ones who are being mean to her. They want their cake and they want to eat it too. Yes. Um, which is what they've been saying about Meghan and Harry. But I digress. So one argument that I think needs to be stated is that you could say that really this is just some facet of racism as Megan is the first African-American member of the royal family and parts of the Brexit rhetoric were very racist. Mm. Um, So we shouldn't forget that conflation there um, about how monarchy plays into racial politics, but also how monarchy, if, if you take the journalist argument, you can see that monarchy could actually be a good thing as monarchy provides the stability. Um, so this got me thinking a lot about what political utility royals have. Why do we keep royals around? Um, why do we care so much about them? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, so a little bit of what are royals before we get into arguments for and against. So royals are, um, politically, they are the head of state of um, their nation. So a head of state is someone who represents the nation to the world and is often in charge of certain kind of symbolic parts of government formation, government creation. Um, So they go to banquets and they entertain foreign dignitaries and they um, become an actual symbol of a nation. So they appear on money. or have statues of them, or if you live in a Commonwealth country, um, 
the queen's portrait appears in all schools and government establishments. So they have this kind of symbolic role. Um, they also have this other type of symbolic role that is about um, the creation of government. So in a parliamentary system, specifically in a commonwealth parliamentary system where you have the queen or a governor general who represents the queen, um, the leader of the party with the most votes goes to the queen or the governor general and they say, I would like you to form government. And they, this is a symbolic role, technically. Um, what they're supposed to do is follow um, the conventions, whoever has the most votes, whoever is most likely to form government. Um, though this is all a convention, and as we'll talk about later, could be um, subverted. Also, the queen or the governor general signs bills into mm-hmm. law, so that last, what makes a um, law or bill into a law is that signature. Um, so many states don't have royals, as we know, but all states have heads of states. So often a head of state is um, the president. So they can be someone who has quite a bit of political power. So in the U.S., the president is both the head of the government, so the people writing the place and the head of state, so the symbolic head. Right. And they perform both roles. Um, and then in many countries, presidents have kind of, they're always the head of state, but they have this varying amount of power. So, for example, Emmanuel Macron in France is the head of state, but also has this decent amount of power. And he has much more power than Michael D. Higgins does mm-hmm. in Ireland. A little Miggle D. Bless his little heart. Mm. Miggle D. is a very much a, is much more of a symbolic role and like, has an important role in being a figurehead of Ireland, but not necessarily running the day-to-day of the government. It just helps that he looks exactly like what you would imagine, like a, a leprechaun in real life. Yeah. Like I, I love that for him. He's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a bunch of arguments for and against having a monarchy. Um, we'll go through the four before we go through the against. Um, mm-hmm. One of them is um, money. So especially in Britain, um, the monarchy brings in a huge amount of money in the form of both tourism and property revenues. So it was estimated in recent years that the royal family brings in $1.8 billion of tourism a year as Mm -hmm. people come to the UK to see Buckingham Palace, to see Westminster Abbey, to um, potentially catch a glimpse of Kate and Will. Does that outweigh the cost of like the taxpayers funding their lives uh 1.8 billion dollars yes um which is funny because well i just asked because it's always an argument where everyone's like uh harry and megan are spending hundreds of thousands doing up their Mm -hmm. cottage and we're paying for it but i mean Mm -hmm. it outweighs it so well so there's just that's the tourism dollars that you can't like you can't physically attached to the royals. What you can attach okay. to the royals is the fact that as part of an agreement made with the government many, many years ago, the royals actually loan out their property to the British government and the British government, and that property amasses around 400 million pounds worth of revenue every year. So through like rents, um, they own like a huge amount of London. Um Weird. Yeah, so they own all of this land in England, and it's theirs, and um, that land accrues about 400 million pounds, 
360 million pounds of that goes to um, the government. And then for the other 40 million, which is still a lot of money. Yeah, that would um, Yeah, that goes back to the royal family. But technically they own it. So if they were to not become royals anymore, they could take all that property um, and all of that money. Um, so those are, but it, you're right. Like it does cost money and in some cases taxpayer money um, to house, feed, and protect the royal family. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Another argument about keeping monarchy is that they keep a nation together um, and in multiple ways. Um, so in other nations in Europe, um, people say that the monarchy is really important in keeping nations that are split up regionally together. So in Belgium, that has its kind of three distinct areas, the king is said to unite the people together. Right. Um, and in Spain, people could argue the same thing, that monarchy has this very important role in maintaining democracy and keeping the nation together. However, um, this can also be argued against. So in Belgium, um, certain areas are much more pro-monarchist than other areas. Mm-hmm. Um so there's still a divide there. Um, a more recent and maybe more stark example is in Spain during Catal- the Catalonian independence vote that we saw a couple years ago. Um, the king actually spoke out against the vote, which really backfired and made the Catalonians much more angry and much more resentful of the rest of Spain. Mm. So in some cases, yeah, they can bring them together and others, not so much. The other is that some people argue that the monarchy has this ability to, because they can't be political, to bridge political divides and be a figurehead of a nation that's together. Um, this is potentially like an argument for why you need the monarchy in the time of Brexit, where the monarchy is neutral on Brexit, and so therefore can bring these two very disparate camps together under the heading of being British. Um, have they done this very successfully? many would argue they did not um i think it's like difficult there because like the idea like of them is very like inherently british mm -hmm. which i guess makes it in opposition to europe so you know it, it it lends itself like i'm sure to many they probably have become a symbol of of brexit you know yeah Um, like it's like a loyalty to them rather than a loyalty to Europe. So Mm -hmm. interesting. Um, The kind of final argument for why we we need royals or monarchies really useful politically is that they uphold certain traditions of a nation and then also remind us of that history. So people argue that symbolic politics are really important. The idea of a nation is important to um, its functioning and important to maintaining potentially even like a good democracy. If people believe in the nation itself, people mm-hmm. are much more likely to support it as a democracy. And the royals can really bind together a nation and act as this like common symbol, but also as this um, memory of a past and a long, especially for Britain, a long past. Um, this kind of brings mm. us to the counter monarchy arguments about why um, the royals aren't really good for a democracy or really good politically. Um, And it has to do also with history. 
um, the royals in some ways obfuscate um, the past and present a specific vision of what it means to be a member of a nation. So the British royals and most royals in Europe um, are white and rich and upper class, obviously, and don't actually represent all people within um, the nation. And for a long time, until very recently, we're primarily represented like a patriarchal system of hierarchy. And while Queen Elizabeth was queen, she only became so because there were no men who could um, be king at the time of mm. her coronation. But they recently changed the rules, so now yeah, gender yeah. doesn't actually affect it, which is cool. Um, so it's because they represent not only the current nature of the country, but also the past, um, and make it seem wonderful and glorious, this is clearly not actually the case. And we kind of forget the nasty parts, or and they really try and make us forget the nasty parts of the nation, but also the royal family. I mean, so I think fact, if you're Irish, you don't really. Yes, uh, that's true. <laughs> so there's, like, the question yeah. of the political utility for the people themselves. Yeah, but it's interesting, because I would say that, like, a lot of people would have, like, I mean, this is me speaking for other people, but, like, mm -hmm more negative feeling towards the royal family for things that Britain have done in the past than for mm -hmm. like let's say the current British government because they're not all part of the one family you know they've been yeah. in process of like election and change and mm -hmm. um whereas you know you're saying this idea of them being like tradition and like tying themselves to the past or whatever I mean yeah a lot of that's not good so yeah <laughs> mm. I think some people really in times of change, want to hold on to that. Yeah. Um, especially if you've grown up with a royal family um, that, like, was revered. But other people don't. And so you have it, the political utility of having a royal family changes depending on who you are. Hmm. Um, the other potential problem with a royal family is depending on how much power they have in a constitution – um, they have the possibility of being quite undemocratic. So um, when Boris Johnson wants to prorogue Parliament, he technically has to go to the Queen and ask her to do so. She technically has to agree with him and do what he wants. Um, but then there's a question of maybe she shouldn't let him prorogue Parliament because to many people, him proroguing Parliament um, to prevent a Brexit vote seemed very undemocratic. Mm. Um, but then also if she were to step in that would mean that she an independent who is a person who's supposed to be independent who only symbolically is supposed to represent the country is interfering in the democratic process mm. so a lot of these the symbolic roles are only symbolic through tradition and not legally and, and in the constitution so can potentially be abused um, are they very likely to be abused in this current moment? No, but the current kind of trends of not respecting democracy as much as we once did make it kind of scary to have someone who has so much power. Um, ultimately, I think we're seeing a generational change in how, in the utility of, um, the royals and monarchy in general 
um, if we bring it back to Harry and Meghan, um, there was a stark divide between supporters and dissenters of Harry and Meghan leaving the royal family. On Twitter, which is primarily quite young, you saw a lot of people really supporting them mm. and talking about how um, there's even that like urban dictionary, like to Meghan Markle as a verb, which was to take yourself out of a mouth. Or a megxit, yes. But to Meghan Markle is a specific thing where you take yourself out of a toxic situation for your own health, mm. um, mental and physical. Mm. So to like take onus of yourself and realize when something isn't good for you and to walk away from it. Um, so you see this kind of stark divide. And so I think what we can understand about the royal family and the monarchy in general is that it's beneficial when it actually serves the needs of the people and represents mm. them. Um, and in some ways, Megan being part of the royal family is a change in that wonderful direction of you, like the people who were so entirely happy when they got married were the people who finally saw themselves as yeah. a princess mm-hmm. and had that potential. Um, and so in some ways it democratized the royal family. Um, however, Megan leaving the royal family because of the harassment that she's faced shows kind of that maybe... The monarchy is completely resistant to change and so therefore maybe it isn't actually useful for the people and for those kind of like that rich symbolic mm. power that they could have yeah i wonder if they'll ever move into like you know like the the really chill scandy royals the mm-hmm. like i think our um our friend vibica if, if she's listening was telling me once about a Swedish a member of the Swedish royal family that like married their personal trainer. Um, yeah. And, you know, they just kind of go out and about and their kids dress in normal clothes. Unlike the royals in the UK who seem to dress like it's 1940. Um, you know, I, I wonder if there will be more of a, a move to chill or if, as you said, the fact that Megan needs to leave the royal family because it's such a, toxic place is is the opposite of that i guess only time will tell so on to pop culture and another famous couple who have been making headlines this month um actors brad pitt and jennifer aniston who in the early 2000s were the world's favorite couple he was a blockbuster lady man and she was america's sweetheart rachel green and they were the match made in heaven until they weren't when there was a very public breakup involving a suspicious timeline with Brad Pitt's next relationship um, and also the media's obsession with labeling Jen as a victim. However, this could all be water under the bridge as the pair were reunited at the Screen Actors Guild Awards this month and rumors started flying that there's a reunion in the works. Mm-hmm. So I thought we would have a look at where their story began, where we are now, and whether Braniston 2020 is something we should be rooting for. So where did the story begin? Uh, Brad and Jen started dating in 1998, set up by their agents, so very, very Hollywood. And Everyone was immediately obsessed. I think it's obvious why. There were arguably two of the most beautiful and successful actors of their moment. So mm-hmm. to have them fall in love with each other was incredible. Um, and they became engaged in late 1999 and married in July 2000. 
Um, and they were they were married. They were having having a great time. Uh, Brad actually appeared in an episode of Friends in two thousand and one. Yes. Very funny. I like that one a lot. Um, until da, 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 Brad started working on the movie Mr. and Mrs. Smith in two thousand and four with one Angelina Jolie, and mm-hmm. rumors started flying that the two were getting a little cozy on set. It was all denied. But then Brad and Jen announced their split in January 2005 after nearly seven years together. And like five months later, Brad was photographed on holidays on a beach with Angelina Jolie. So, hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So this is when people got really into the uh, Team Jen versus Team Angie situation. There was like merchandise going around. Um, it was a whole a whole era. Um and there was some, you know, some pretty insensitive things to Jen that happened because I think even if there was nothing untoward going on, um, it's a little bit insensitive to rub a new relationship in someone's face after one has broken down after seven years um, mm-hmm. to have one so soon later. So in July 2005, so we're talking like six, seven months after uh, Brad and Jen announced their split. Um, Brad and Angie were in a W magazine spread called Domestic Bliss in which they were, you know, photographed planning to have a family together. So, I don't know. I I felt a little for Jen there. Um, There was also some comments of them saying, you know, they couldn't wait to, to, when they were working on Mr. and Mrs. Smith together, they couldn't wait to go to work the next day and maybe things were blossoming into something else. And she was like, um, okay, I was not aware of this, so... Um, mm-hmm. Can you can you maybe not tell the whole world about that? It's a little <laughs> insensitive. But anyway, um, Brad and Angie were, by all accounts, very happy together. They adopted children. They had three biological children together. Uh, the first being Shiloh Jolie Pitt, who was born in two thousand six. Um, so mm-hmm. Again, very <laughs> close after the end of this marriage. Um, they started a charitable foundation together, a wine business, um, and then they actually got married in two thousand fourteen. And throughout this whole time, Trashy Mags focused on the image of Jen as this unlucky in love woman. And, mm-hmm. you know, there were also constant rumors of her, her being pregnant, which I think, you know, just add how ridiculous this whole thing was. But I think there was a lot of projection going on there. I think for many people, you know, to be absolutely stunning and have this stunning husband and be so successful, and then for him to kind of, leave you for someone else and move on so swiftly with them that's like a worse nightmare situation and you know for that to be so public and for the whole world to be watching is is even worse so I think everyone got so caught up in that narrative that she wasn't allowed to escape that role she was you know really made to be the victim of the decade really right as this unlucky Mm -hmm. in love woman and she even wrote um an op-ed in the Huffington Post in 2016, so like 10 years later, addressing mm-hmm. this because she was just she was fed up with it. Um, but you know, she had some she had some relationships during this time. I don't think she was unlucky in love. She uh, dated Vince Vaughn, John Mayer. Probably not a wise move. Um, <laughs> and she was married to Justin Throw. Then things start changing a little bit. Angelina Jolie filed for divorce from Brad in 2016. And Jen and Justin announced their split in 2018. 
And then it seems like Brad and Jen are getting like maybe a little bit closer again. They're alleged to be in more uh, contact. He apparently attended her 50th birthday party last year, for example. Mm. Which brings us to this month. So what happened this month? Micah, I'm sure you've seen the photographs. Of course. course. Who hasn't? Who hasn't? Exactly. So there were viral photographs of them together at the Screen Actors Skills Awards this month. Um, There's one of them laughing together and another of her leaving, like to walk away and him grabbing her hand. Um, And then there's also another of Brad watching her backstage or from backstage um, accepting her award for outstanding performance by a female actor in a drama series. And basically everyone went insane. Um, I think a lot of people on Twitter were actually surprised that they were so affected by this picture. You know, Mm -hmm. we all like to think that, um, oh, leave them alone. It's old news. I'm a grown up. I don't care about this until this Mm -hmm. happened. And then everyone very much cared about it. Uh, Mm -hmm. it was, it was pretty funny. There was lots of people imagining, um, what must be going on in the Us Weekly Slack? Um, people were noting the episode of Parks and Rec where Leslie Nope compares a Brad and Jen reunion to things working out between Romeo and Juliet, uh, which is funny because Justin Thoreau was actually in that episode of Parks and Rec. Uh, Jamie Lynn Spears, Rumor Willis, and Jordan Sparks were all very excited by this development on Instagram as captured by the account Comments by Celebs. And then there was a popular meme format born of it. So it was uh, you as Jennifer and a thing you're trying to leave behind, but it's got a hold on you as Brad. So, uh, for example, <laughs> uh, adult acne. Very good. Okay, that's about, that's, uh, close to the bone, actually. Uh, um, <laughs> so I guess now it's time to think about, is it a good or a bad idea to root for a Braniston 2020 reunion? Mm-hmm. There are, there are some good points people are making. So, number one, people are saying that he has changed. Um, he seemed to got hotter recently. I don't know if he's just started, like, actually. That's very odd. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a Leo thing, that like, Leo mm-hmm. decaps. Um, and that both of them have always had the potential to be hot for, like, the past ten years, but they just haven't bothered. Like, Brad's yes. been just going around with, like, a scraggy, like, goatee and, like, weird caps. And, like, you know, Leo's been just wearing essentially Billie Eilish's outfits. Um, but both of them recently have decided to like get a tan and like cut their hair. And yeah, he looks great. Um, also, he's been doing some really great roles re- recently, you know, mm-hmm. really highly acclaimed um, parts. He has been pretty funny and like self-deprecating recently. So, you know, when he's been accepting awards, he's been making jokes about his dating life or, you know, jokes about his friendship with, leo um and he's also uh been doing some you know really great directing work and stuff behind the scenes and giving voices to um marginalized people and those who haven't had the opportunity to have their stories broadcast before so mm-hmm. you know snaps there um another reason is that everyone thinks it would be like a fairy tale if they got back together you know like one of those old couples in when harry met sally mm-hmm. Maybe they were always supposed to be together and the timing just wasn't right the first time, but now it is. And, you know, when they're 70, they'll just look back on the past 10 years as like a little like blip, blip in the narrative. Um, a journalist, um, Rachel Syme on Twitter, made a very concise point of this. And she said, 
The longing for Brad and Jen is deep down the hope to mend something from the past, which we hope was not irre- irrevocably over. It's about them as much as it is about the fantasy that no door is ever closed. So, mm-hmm. a little sweet, but there are some cons to this. So, mm-hmm. I think number one is that people who are rooting for them to get back together are giving Brad so much leeway in this situation. Like, he was yeah. very insensitive in a really hard time and, you know, really kind of like screwed her over. And then, was allowed to get to 56 years old before he matured and everyone's just okay with that um there's also the point that if this is the end of the story she's really got the last laugh like she's come out on top she's gorgeous and successful mm-hmm. and it looks like he's totally enamored by her and isn't that what every like wronged person wants in a breakup like you want to just be the one that they try to push down and then you flourish and they're like oh shit maybe i made a mistake so yeah. you know um, Elena Demopoulos of the Daily Beast said of the um, the hand grab, I don't see anything sexy in Brad's hand gesture. At best, he just looks like any other midlife former bro grabbing the arm of a TGI Friday's waitress about to take the last mozzarella stick away. <laughs> and Alana Bennett said on Twitter, my personal fanfic about the Brad and Jen photo is that she went home and thought zero times about him. Um, so yeah, people, people also kind of like this idea that She's on top. She's she she's got her last laugh. Mm-hmm. I think the final point, and this is one that I sort of subscribe to, is that it has been fifteen years since they broke up. Right? Mm-hmm. Who would want to still be, you know, pegged as meant to be with somebody they broke up with fifteen years ago? Like that's that's insulting. You've lived like fifteen years of your life, and people still just want you to get back together with this person it's like like imagine if you're a regular person and you marry someone when you you break up with someone when you're 30 and then you're like what 45 and then turn up at um your your parents house and they're like oh how how's brad doing and you're like mom it's been 15 years like go go away yeah. yeah we're done anyway um so the i think the bottom line that we have here is that it's good to see Jen coming out positively here because I think the media has been very unfair to her over the past 15 years directly because of Brad. So it's good oh, to yeah. see in the context of him, her coming out on top and maybe getting to like control this narrative a bit more and people actually focusing on the really great work that she's doing and how freaking cool she is. Um, and I guess ultimately this is probably good for both of their careers. Like, oh, yeah. you know, they're, they're trending. Everyone's talking about them. This can only mean good things for the next season of the morning show or for whatever <laughs> film project that, that Brad wants to do. So if I were them, I, you know, I, I don't blame them for not, not killing these rumors. I would, I would fan the flames too. You know what? It's good for your career. Mm-hmm. So Good luck to them both. I think whatever will be, will be. And I think, I hope that it is something covered in love for the pair of them. Whether that be together or separate. Alrighty, that is another episode of Different Things Can Be Sad wrapped up. Our very first one of the decade. Um, mm-hmm. If you would like to keep up with us until we are next in your ear holes, you can find us on Instagram at, at DTCBSPodcast. Or you can find me there at Yasmin Lomax. Michael, where are you? 
I am at Miss Clearwater on Instagram and Twitter. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm on Twitter as well. I'm you should definitely hit up Yasmin on Twitter because her tweet her tweets are awesome. I and very just, like. I think if I was famous, they would be like viral. Like, um, like Justin Bieber <laughs> can just tweet the word "hello" and get like millions of retweets. Like, imagine what mine could do if I were Justin. Bieber. I, it's it's good Twitter content. Everyone should follow. It's when I'm when I'm a little bored. Um. Anyway, what what are you going to be up to this next month, Micah? Um, I will be studying, uh, keeping warm, uh, going to Ottawa. Ottawa, Ottawa. Um, just just hanging, having a good time. I like it. I like it. Mm-hmm. What about you? I will be here in New York, uh, working. I am going to be going out to the desert for a little while, out to. Very cool. Uh, New Mexico, Arizona, and Nevada for work, which I'm pretty excited about. A nice little perk of the job. Um, and then hopefully we will be reunited in the very near future. So we will keep you updated on that one. Mm-hmm. Until then, have a happy month and we will, we will, you will, you will be hearing from us soon. Bye. Bye. Yeah. I love you all. I'm gonna be You can come